All right, if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to open with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel's not real easy to find, but if you find Isaiah, just keep going, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, then you'll hit Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read the whole chapter, so we're going to pick up in verse 1. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, and today I want to talk about living courageously. Living courageously. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago when we had Father's Day and, and celebrated that, you might remember that I talked about uh, being strong and courageous, and I, I sought to apply that message to all of us, but especially uh, to, to the men. And admittedly, there are some similarities in theme between that sermon and, and this one, but this is not a rehash. This is not uh, Be Strong and Courageous 2.0. This is, uh, this is a different message, and it came about this week as I was listening to the Bible. And so this year I've been going through the Bible chronologically, which is a different way that I've, than I've done in the past, and I've, I've enjoyed that. Um, but as I was listening to the book of Daniel, I got to, uh, got to remember and, and hear some of, those, some of those accounts that many of us grew up hearing, you know, Daniel in the lion's den and so forth. And I got to chapter 3, and this is, a, this is an account that many of us, probably all of us, have heard in the past, have, have read and studied and heard sermons on. But it is, um, it, it's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, it really struck me as I listened to this how courageous these men were. And so what I want us to do today is I want to look at their example and see if we can draw some things out from their life and seek to apply it to our own lives. Now, just by way of reminder and to kind of set the stage a little bit, at this time, Babylon was really the superpower of the world. They defeated the Assyrians, they defeated the Egyptians, uh, uh, they defeated the, uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, they defeated all kinds of people groups, and so they were really the superpower of the world. And it was led by a very proud man, a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I say he was proud, and, and he kind of had some reason to be proud. You've heard of the seven, ancient, seven wonders of the ancient world? One of those was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, and that was put into place by Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he was, he, he was, he was the leader of the most powerful nation in the world. And so, uh, e- even today I've read that, uh, that Babylon is the largest archaeological site in the world with some 2,000 square acres. That is a big site. And so he conquered all kinds of people's, people groups. And what he do and, and what he did here is he would go in, he would defeat them, he would exile them, take people from their homeland, send them far away to a, a foreign land, and make them settle there. Well, one of the things that he did is when he defeated Judah, he exiled a bunch of people. But what he did was he took the, the finest of, of the young people, the, the, the best, the brightest, the best looking, and he, he took them out and had them educated in the literature and, and the, the ways of thinking, the language of Babylon. And so what he did among those people that he took, those the, the best and the brightest, were four guys that we all know. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But those weren't, at least the last three, those were not their given names. They were Hananiah, um, Mishael, and Azariah. And I think it's interesting that we know they're they're Babylonian names, not their Hebrew names, but that's, uh, that's, that's something else. Anyway, the, these were the best of the best. They were the, they were the brightest. They were intelligent. And so they were supposed to serve in the king's court as counselors and so forth. And so when we pick up in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has taken these guys and he's put them into his personal service. And, and that's where we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. And I'd like you to stand with me if you're able. We'll pick up in verse 1, read down to the bottom or to the end of the chapter. It begins by saying, Nebuchadnezzar the king 
made an image of gold, the height of which was sixty cubits, and its width six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of, of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time... When all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Reply to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it, us- than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their, clo- and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these men, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look. I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the, high, the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, I know that was a lengthy uh, passage, but there are some things I want to try and draw out of this. The first is that we must, res- we, we must avoid the tendency to exalt ourselves. We must uh, avoid the tendency to exalt ourselves. Now, this incident begins with Nebuchadnezzar setting up an image on the plain of Dura. It was a golden image. Now, we don't know what this image was. We don't know what it was a picture of. We don't know its shape. We don't know really anything about it. Um, a lot of people, and, and if you read this, uh, the first part of chapter 3, you see that, that it's so-and-so cubits high and so-and-so cubits wide, and we don't know what a cubit is off the top of our head. We know it's about 18 inches, but we start doing the math, and we say, oh, it's too early to do math on Sunday morning. Well, let me just fill it in for you. It's about 90 foot tall and about 9 foot wide. So it's not very wide, very, very tall. And so some people have looked at this and said, well, probably what it was was a pillar. And they had the Babylonian gods... Uh, etched into or carved into this pillar. And people were supposed to fall down and, and worship these gods. Others think that, no, this was, this was a statue to Marduk, which was the Babylonian god. And uh, he was on a pedestal. And so the pedestal and the idol, the, the 90 foot would count both of those things. And we do that even today because we, we say that the, the Statue of Liberty is a little over 300 foot tall. Well, she's not standing on the ground. You remember she's up on a pedestal up on a platform, and so we count that whole thing as being, you know, 300 plus feet tall. And so it's possible that that's the case. There are other scholars, and this is where I come down, I believe that this was probably an idol, an image of Nebuchadnezzar. And here's the reason I say that. In chapter 2, he has a dream. Now, you remember this is, this is the account where he has a dream and, and he calls all the wise men in and says, interpret this dream for me. And, and they say, okay, well, tell us what it is. He says, no, you tell me what it is and then tell me what it means. And they all say, well, we can't do that. And Daniel comes in and he interprets the dream. You remember all this. And what the, what the dream was, was Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue made of four different materials or, or combinations of materials. At the top was the head, and it was made out of gold, and then silver and bronze, and then the bottom part was made out of iron and clay and iron mixed together. And the interpretation of that, Daniel said, oh, and, and this, this, this statue was out there, and out of, out of nowhere comes this stone, not carved by human hands, and it, it, it crushes the, um, the, the feet of the, of the statue, crushes the whole statue, grinds it into dust, and then that stone grows and fills the entire earth. And he says, what in the world does this mean? So Daniel comes in, tells him what it is, and he says, 
that statue are kingdoms. So the head is you, it's Babylon, it's gold. And then the next is the next kingdom and so on and so forth. And, and we know this happened in, in history, the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and so forth. And the bottom part was the Roman Empire. And when this, this stone that comes and, and crushes the, these, uh, these, this, this statue, it starts out uh, striking or smiting the, the feet, the Roman Empire, that's the kingdom of God. That was initiated at the time of Jesus. You remember what Jesus and John the Baptist at the beginning of their ministry did? They went out and preached and said what? Repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. See, we got some connections here. So this kingdom that Jesus begins is going to fill the whole earth. Now, I think that that so made an impact on Nebuchadnezzar, and he was so proud, I think, that he set up a statue to himself, only he didn't make just the head gold. He made the whole thing gold. I think he was trying to, to repudiate, to cancel out this prophetic dream that he had had, which showed that his kingdom, his empire, was temporary. Now, even if that speculation is wrong, and I, I, I recognize it may be because the Bible doesn't say, so we can't speak with authority. Even if that speculation is wrong, and it's some other idol that he set up, the fact remains that he shows hubris that is hard to even put into words. Because he has the audacity to tell people whom to worship. I mean, that's one of the most fundamental things that we have. One of the, the most fundamental choices that we have is who it is that we're going to worship. And he has the audacity to come and say, you know what? You will worship right here, right now. This is the one that you put your affections on. This is the one that you trust in. And yet that's what he did. Now listen, this is not unique to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, all throughout history, when we see people who are in positions of power, they're in positions of authority, and they have little accountability, they all do much the same thing. Think about King Saul in the Bible. Now, he didn't make an, he didn't make an idol. But you remember in, in the book of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 12, Samuel is going to find Saul. And he misses him, he goes to town, and he misses him. And what do they say? He set up a monument to himself. Now, this was, not, this was not, you know, somebody makes a ticker tape parade. Hey, let's build an, a monument to Saul. This is Saul coming in saying, make me a parade and he, make a statue in my honor. He is, he is proud. He is self-exalting. We see it in the Caesars of, of the Roman Empire. They demanded that people worship them as gods. In fact, they were, the, the people that worshiped them were supposed to say, Caesar is Lord. Well, guess what? The Christians wouldn't do that. That's why many of them were put to death, because what did they say? Now, Jesus is Lord. And even today, in communist China, Xi Jinping, the leader of communist China, is doing much the same thing. In fact, in communist China, the state okayed church, which is barely, could barely be considered a church, the government has come in, taken down the religious symbols, the cross and so forth, and guess what they put up? Portraits of Xi Jinping. Also in communist China, of course, everything was shut down because of the pandemic. Here's what, here's what they made the churches do. And again, this is not the underground church. These are the ones, the state ones, that, that they say are okay. They said, if you're going to open up, you have to do three things. Number one, you have to raise the national flag. Number two, you have to sing the anthem, the national anthem. And number three... You have to praise Xi Jinping and his, his handling of the outbreak. That's today, in churches, in China. 
Don't praise Jesus. Praise the state. Praise the leader of that state. Now, you might say to yourself, I don't know why Jeff's talking about this because I'm not a communist. I'm not going to lead the Communist Party. And, and even if I did, I wouldn't do something that proud. Well, listen, we may never lead a, a political party like that, but there's within, the ten, within each of us the tendency to self-congratulate, to self-exalt. We see that whenever people get into this kind of power, they always do the same thing. They exalt self. We do that too, don't we? We don't have the, the, the audacity to do it the way they do. They, we don't have the authority to do it like they do. But we want to become focused on us. We want attention. We want people to think about us, to, to look at us, not God. You remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, there's never risen anyone uh, born of a woman who is greater than John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist say? He said, I must decrease, he, Jesus, must increase. See, that's the attitude we need to have. Instead, we tend to say, look at me, think about me, be impressed by how I handle things. And and the Bible shows us that if we're going to live a God-honoring, courageous life, we must put God first, not us. The second thing that we need to do is we we need to resist the pressure to bow the knee. Resist the pressure to bow the knee. Now, for them, it was very literal, wasn't it? It appears, if, if you read carefully, it appears that Nebuchadnezzar told all these people to come, and he didn't tell them why they were coming. Because it says that they assembled them there, and it was after they got there that the herald said, Hey, you got to bow down and worship this idol. Now, in all honesty, many of them probably didn't have that much of a problem with it because they... The Jews were monotheists. They believed there's one God. All the other religions around them thought there were a lot of gods. And so they thought to themselves, well, if I worship one more God, that's no big deal. I'll just keep worshiping my God plus that God. But listen, the Jews wouldn't do that because they knew that was a, a plain violation of the second commandment. God said, don't have any idols. Don't worship any of these images. And if, if, if these, these three men, if they didn't do what the king said, they were faced with certain death. Now, this threat had teeth to it. Now, don't get the idea, because sometimes we read the Bible and, and we, we don't know some of the culture things, and, and so we think, well, uh, okay. And so you might read this and you say, well, not you guys, but you may know somebody that reads this and say, well... That seems like maybe that's kind of a a fanciful addition because, frankly, who would throw somebody in a fiery furnace? Or they may say, well, this seems a little far-fetched because who has a fiery furnace just sitting around already hot? I'll tell you who. Nebuchadnezzar. This was something, this was a way that they put people to death in Babylon. This was an execution method. Now, today we think of an execution method as being something like uh, uh, lethal injection, a firing squad, hanging, electric chair, things like that. One of the things that they did was they would throw people into a fiery furnace, a, a brick kiln, or someplace where they would smelt metals. They would throw people in there. And this actually is recorded elsewhere in Scripture. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 22, it says, Because of them a curse will be used by all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon, saying, May the Lord make you like Zedekiah and like Ahab, 
whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. See, this is not the only place that's recorded. And even if it was, it'd still be true. So they are faced, I mean, they're hearing the fire crackle. They're smelling the smoke. They see, they, they can probably feel the heat. And Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. And if, if, in the original language, it's like he can't even believe what they're doing. It's like, are you serious? Is this a joke? Why would you not bow down and worship the idol? He's given them a second chance. And I, I think part of it is because he personally knows them, but part of it too is because maybe they've mistaken. Maybe they misunderstood him. He says, are you kidding? And this is my summation. Are you kidding me? Just fall down and worship. And what, are the, what did the three Israelites do? Nope. Now, I've, I've heard somebody speculate that the reason the lions didn't eat Daniel was because he was all backbone and gristle. And I suspect that he wasn't alone. Because these guys, they had some guts. And just think about the pressures they faced. And think about the things that probably would have gone through their heads as they were standing before the king. And see if some of these wouldn't resonate with you. They were probably thinking, I'm a young person. The Bible says in chapter 1 when they were taken, they, the, the Bible uses the word yelled. It means a young person, a, a teenager, even a child. They were taken out of their homeland. They were facing a savage ruler. They knew his reputation. They knew he had led the army that had defeated them. They knew what would face them if, if they didn't obey. Maybe they thought, you know what? We should do this. I should do this because the government said so, and I should obey the governing authorities. Maybe they said, I'm far from my homeland, and even in my homeland... The Israelites, my own people, sometimes worshipped idols. Here I am in another land. Maybe I went in Rome, do as the Romans do. Maybe I should just do it. Maybe they thought, not only am I going to face death, I'm going to lose my position of authority. And if I lose my position of authority, not only do I suffer personal loss, but I can't help others from that position. Maybe they thought to themselves as they were standing before the king and the king was giving them another chance. You know, I could probably bow down and just not worship. It would still look the same, but God would know my heart. Or maybe they thought, I'm going to bow down. I may even give words of worship and then I'll ask God to forgive me later. They could have done all those things. Maybe, maybe they thought... I don't want to make waves. Maybe they thought, I don't want to die. I mean, we, all these things, literally, they, they could have looked around and said, literally, everybody else is doing it. And doesn't some of those sound like things that probably we would go for? But these guys wouldn't do it. They courageously took their stand, and they would not bow the knee. As I said, these are young people, probably teenagers at, at, at this point. And, and this is an example for young people. And I'm going to tell our young people, and I'm going to tell us adults something that we already know. And that is that, that there are pressures in society, there are pressures in school, there are pressures in culture, everywhere to bow the knee. There is pressure 
to compromise. There's pressure to compromise your integrity at work. There's compromise to uh, there's pressure to compromise your purity on a date. There's compromise uh, pressure to compromise your faith. And listen, I don't envy the young people today because they don't live in the same world I grew up in. They don't live in the same world you all grew up in either. I don't envy that one little bit. Listen, the same is true for us adults, isn't it? We have a pressure to compromise. The pressures may look different, but the pressure is still the same, whether it be peer pressure or whatever it is. And something else I want to point out, and this is just as true for adults as it is for young people, I noticed that these men stood together. Now, I think that probably each of these men... If they were standing before Nebuchadnezzar, they would have done the same thing alone. But boy, it's a lot easier when there's somebody else. It's a lot easier when you got somebody else backing you saying, you know what? I'm, I'm backing your play. I'm going to do the same thing you are. I'm going to stand firm just like you are. It's a lot easier when you have a good friend who will stand with you in whatever it is you're going through. And we need to, we need to watch who we have as good friends. And that's true again as, as adults and as young people. We need to surround our, ourselves with people who will encourage us, who will help us in our walk with God, who will call us to account when that needs to happen. They, they will encourage us to stand firm, to not bow the knee, to give to God what only belongs to God. In my studies, I came across a, a, a statement that one writer put, really stuck out to me. He said, render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's is a maxim of Jesus Christ. But when Caesar arrogates to himself the things that are the Lord's, then and in such cases his authority is to be resisted. God does not desire Caesar's things. Caesar must not have the things of God. In other words, don't bow the knee. The last thing I want to point out in their example that we can follow is ultimately we must entrust ourselves to God. Entrust yourself to God. Now their response again is... is just amazing to me because they essentially say, King, I don't care what you're saying. You can, you can make whatever threats and you can follow through on those threats. I'm not going to do what you're saying. Even if it costs me my life, I'm not going to bow the knee. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to worship this idol. How much courage did it take to make that stand? How much courage did it take to say it in such such a plain way. You know, many of us, if we were in that position, even if we were trying to stand firm, we'd say, well, you know, I don't know, I'm a Trish and the elders, and it's not really the way I do it. You know, we would him haul around, and they said, no, we ain't doing it. Why? Because they entrusted themselves to God. Their focus, listen, their focus was not on what the outcome was going to be. Their focus on what the right thing was. Their focus was not on getting the outcome they desired. Their focus was on doing the right thing. They said, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. And that's an example to us. In this case, God miraculously saved them. He doesn't always miraculously save people. I mean, we, we read this and, and we're encouraged. You know, there was a fourth in the fire and, and so forth. And we're encouraged by that. But listen, there are, there are faithful Christians who have, who have followed Christ for generations who have been just as faithful as these guys. They've, 
They refuse to follow the, the, the winds of the time. They refuse to deny their Lord, and they're put to death because of it. I have to be phone bulletins, and I heard the adult class talking about some of those statistics of those very things. People who are being put to death for their faith. These people entrusted themselves to God. The ultimate example of that is Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now, it's easy to sit here on Sunday morning in a nice, comfortable, you know, climate-controlled room, soft chairs, not facing persecution. It's easy to sit here and say, yeah, I think I'd probably do that if that ever, if that ever came to my front porch. And hopefully we all would, but listen, the longer I live, the more I realize how easy it is to compromise. I realize more and more how easy it is just to give in a little bit here and a little bit there, and pretty soon you're off in left field. It's easy to come up with ways to justify doing wrong. It's easy to do those things. It's easy to justify bowing the knee to the culture around us. But that is not what we're called to. We need to be a courageous people, not not a haughty people, not a proud people, but a courageous people. Now, I noticed these men didn't put it on social media. They were standing for God. They didn't live stream their conversation with Nebuchadnezzar as they were sticking it to the man. Say, of course not. Pastor, they didn't have Facebook, Twitter, Internet, phones. They didn't have any of that. Of course they weren't doing that. What I'm saying is they didn't seek a pat on the back. They just did it. They just stood. And listen, when you stand firm and everybody else is bound down, you're going to stand out. You don't have to make a fuss. You don't have to put on social media. You don't have to uh, let your friends know. If you stand up, you will stand out. And that's what we need to do. We don't need to be uh, throwing ourselves a parade or having a pity party and, and saying, woe is me. We just need to stand. Having done all, Paul says, when you're under spiritual attack, Stand. Stand firm. Now the question that each of us needs to ask ourselves, the question that I need to ask myself is, do we have the courage to do that? Do we have the courage to not bow the knee, to not compromise, to stand regardless of what the outcome is, to stand and be courageous when somebody else is standing, we can stand alongside them. To stand even if nobody else is standing there with us. Will we stand and be courageous? And that's my call to each of us, myself included, to stand firm, stand alongside one another. Guys, we're all in this together. Now, I've really become sick of that phrase because I I hear it so much in different contexts. But listen, we are the body of Christ. And when one person's weak, another needs to be strong and lift them up. Bear one another's burdens. Stand with somebody so when somebody is facing something, they know they're not doing it alone. We need to stand firm. 
Don't bow the knee. Don't exalt yourself. But instead, trust yourself to the judge of the earth who always does right. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? Nasty, you bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to ask you, are, are you standing firm? Are you standing firm in your school? Are you standing firm in your work? In your family? In your community? Whatever context you're in, are you standing firm? Again, these, these men, as they talked to King Nebuchadnezzar, they weren't rude. They weren't mean-spirited. But boy, they had a, a rock-ribbed response, didn't they? No matter what you do, we're going to do what we know is right. Would that each of us have that kind of courage. Say, Pastor, even today, I think about this weekend, I think about this week, this month, and I know there are times that I've compromised. There are times that I've given in, I've bowed the knee. I've not stood up for what's right. I've done things I shouldn't do. In the book of 1 John, John writes, I've written these things that you might not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He goes on to say that, that he is faithful to forgive our sins. If we'll confess our sins, he'll forgive us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And maybe your response today is that you need to ask for forgiveness and commit to doing better. Maybe your response today is I've talked about this, this has been direct, directed at Christians. Maybe your response is actually one of salvation. You've never repented of your sin. You've never confessed it. You've never turned your life over to Christ. Even though the focus of this message has been on believers, you can become one of them today. Because the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Whosoever will may come. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us as we try to navigate our lives. We try to navigate our work situations, family situations, school, all these different uh, things that we have in our lives, all these different pressures we have to compromise, to not take a stand. And that pressure is, in, in, some, in some situations, it's, it's pretty incredible. Incredibly heavy, hard, the threats of, of discipline, losing one's job, of being ostracized by friends. But God, help each of us 
to not be an offense. We know the gospel is offensive enough. Help us to not add to it with our behavior. Having said that, you stand firm. God, I pray that you'd help each of us to have that kind of courage. In Jesus' name, amen.